Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin with the third verse. Let's read. Once we let's go. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. Say amen. amen. Say amen. You know, I was meditating about this, and it seemed so apparent for me that how true this is, that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. But the truth is that our gospel is hid to some people. Praise the Lord Jesus. The truth is that this gospel is hid from certain people. The God of this world has blinded them that believe not. You understand? So the blindness comes because they believe not. Praise the Lord. That blindness comes because they believe not. Least the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there are people to whom this gospel is hid. We preach many things. But to many people, this gospel is hid. To them which are lost. And sadly, I've realized that it is hid mostly to men which profess the faith. Which say they are Christian. Which say they are born again. Praise the Lord Jesus. You see, let me make you understand the light from which we see things. You understand? Because there are things that men call light. But they are not light. They are darkness in their own selves. You understand? But because they are unveiled to them, some men think that everything unveiled is light. Apocalypsis, you know, the place where a veil is taken off something does not necessitate that it is really the light of God that does that. Some men have an unveiling of things in the evil world. You understand? But when we come to the true light, Everything unveiled in the spirit carries the transition of understanding in a human being or the believer. And that understanding produces a life of functioning effectively in the eternal things of God and thus manifesting. That is why the Bible says that those which are of light manifest. That which is of light manifests. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That which is of light manifests. Every time there is a manifestation, 
it's of light, you know? But the unveilings do not necessarily mean that all the lights in the experiences of unveiling are godly. You understand? So, when we go through the transition of what is unveiled to be understood, and from the presence of it being understood, then it's made manifest. You understand that there's a necessity of the true light. There's a necessity of the true light if we have to manifest the truth or whatever is true of God. Let me give you an example. When you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll ask yourself, why did God do two testaments? Why not three? Why not four? Why do we have one old and one new? Why don't we have the first and last only? Or the first and second only? Or perhaps us believing that there will be a third? Why do we have the old and the new? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who know, the word literally testament means covenant. Isn't it? It's like a wheel. It's more of a wheel. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, when we go to the Old Testament dispensation, the men of old did not see the things that you and I are seeing. And I'll explain that. If you understand testament as will, will, okay? Will. The place of covenant here, you know, is a place where there's a necessity of the death of the what? The testator. The Bible says, for where a testament is, there must be also the necessity to be the death of a testator. For example, if a man is dead, the enforcing of his will can only take place when he's dead. There's no necessity to enforce the will of a man who is still alive. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So then I'll ask you, what death necessitated the Old Testament? You understand? Think it through. But anyway, let's go back to the mind here. When you look at the things of the Old Testament, or the way God viewed the Old Testament was this. He wanted to teach the church something. But before he teaches them what is the point for them, he wants to first put a first testament with them. You understand? And then they have the appreciation of that life before he takes them into this life. So everything done and made by God in the Old Testament dispensation is just a picture trying to lead men to the need of Christ. That when Christ is come, now he begins a New Testament. Because if Christ comes before that experience of the Old Testament, they might not appreciate or understand why he came. Are you hearing me? There's something God wants to bring to the world, but he knows they'll take it for granted or they'll misunderstand it because they don't know how important it is. So what does he do? He makes sure first, he gives them something that will point to how important the other is. So the men of old, all of them look as pawns on a chessboard trying to fulfill one simple truth, the importance of the necessity of the New Testament, which begins by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Are we together? That is why the Bible speaks of experiences where the scriptures for us see that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And what does he do? He goes and preaches this gospel to Abraham. In saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. When he preaches this gospel and Abraham understands the message. Abraham is not dealing with the children of Israel by mistake. He's dealing with every child of Israel as one who understands the original script. He's following the original script. Now he knows if we do this, we'll go here. If we do this, we'll go here. Same as Moses. 
Same as all the prophets of old. You'll understand that the Bible tells us that he refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, esteeming Christ's greater riches than the pleasures of sin. For he has respect for the recompense. But how can he esteem Christ if he has not seen Christ? That means that what Jesus does is, he goes to these Old Testament fellows, he reveals himself to them, and gives them the fine print of what he's up to. So all of them are part and parcel contributing to one end, that at the end of it all, they will lead men to the position and need and appreciation of the life of Christ to come in the next dispensation. You understand? Now, when you're a New Testament believer, how are you supposed to view the Old Testament? You're supposed to view the Old Testament as something that just reflects the real Christ. The Bible calls it the shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. You understand? Jesus is the substance of that shadow cast in the law. So every man in the Old Testament dispensation, of course, not all of them had this knowledge that you and I have. Why? Because they did not live before the New Testament. But for you and I, which live in the dispensation of the New Testament, God expects that you have the mind of where it began from, what God was up to in the Old Testament, and how it transitions through and brings men to the New Testament, that now you live in the right order of things. Now I'm defining order. That statement in Luke chapter 1 verse 1. The true order of the spirit. When we walk out of the true order of the spirit, it doesn't matter how articulate our doctrines and sermons are. It doesn't matter how wonderful our discourses are laid on table. We'll still minister this order in the lives of men. Why? Because if a man does not understand the order of events, the Bible calls that man one which ministers questions in the hearts of hearers rather than godly edification which is after faith. So people go back with more questions because every time you preach something, it takes them out of order. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. You might minister something that just takes them out of order. You understand? So, and to Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some of them that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions. Give me the amplified of that, verses 4. Not to give importance or occupy themselves with legends, fables, myths, and endless genealogies, which foster, listen, and promote useless speculations and questionings rather than acceptance in the faith of God's administration and the divine training that is in faith, in that leaning of the entire human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence. So at the end of the day, we go to church. And when we go to church, they preach to us. When we go back home, we have more questions than we came. And then the other day again, they teach, and then we go back with more questions. And another day they teach again, we go back with more questions. So the longer you live in the faith, the more questions you have, the more callous you become, the more your conscience is seared, and because your conscience is not pure, you cannot receive. You see, the devil knows that the most delicate part of every human spirit is the conscience. You understand? He knows it. He knows if it can defile a man's conscience, it doesn't matter how much and what they hear. You understand? So primarily, if like the Bible says in the last days, the spirit speaks expressly. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. How does a man get to a point where they preach doctrines of devils and seducing spirits and they feel that they are ministering Christ? You understand? 
Somebody feels they're preaching Jesus, but they are actually under a seducing spirit and a doctrine of a devil. That means devils release doctrines too in church. You understand? But you see, we can be in a dispensation where the doctrines of the devil stay so long that they become true. That when the truth comes, the truth looks like it's the doctrine of the devil. But you see, you're dealing with men whose consciences are seared. The part of them that he has got is dead. You see, that is why when Paul is walking with God, he says one thing. He says, herein, you understand, do I exercise myself to have or to walk with a conscience void of offense toward God and man? It's an exercise every day. He exercises his spirit to make sure that he has a conscience that is void of offense toward God. Because if your conscience offends God, then the place of you that hears God can be manipulated by the devil to hear what you ought not to hear, to do what you ought not to do, to walk the way you ought not to walk. And that is why we're having problems of men which say they are led of the Holy Spirit and what they do or say is contrary to the true leading of the Holy Spirit. But the challenge here is the conscience. You see, when the Bible speaks of the end of the commandment, and I can tell you this, a man can never have the clearest and purest line of conscience until that man gets to the end of the commandment. That is why in Timothy he says, now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a what? Good conscience and of faith and faith. And he says, from which some have swerved off. And when they swerve off, what do they get into? Vain jangling. They speak stuff that is useless. They speak empty stuff. It can tickle fancy, but it's empty. You understand? It has pun. You understand? Pun intended. Like playing with words. You understand? And somebody can hear those words and think, wow, this is deep. And you know, before you know that, people these days don't even know what revelation is anymore. Are you hearing me? Today, men just play with words, you know? They pun. You know, they play with words. And a man can play with a word, and then because he has played with a word, some people say, wow, this is deep. You understand? I'll give you an example. Somebody can just get words that rhyme. Tell your neighbor, confession is possession. Confession is possession. And everybody believes it. But that's the doctrine of the devil. Confession is not possession. You don't possess because you confess. Before you confessed, he says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Before you confess, you're a possessor. So you don't confess to possess. No, you're already possessed in Christ. When he says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He says you have been. He didn't say you will be when you confess. No. He says you have been blessed. It is blessed. You have been. It's already done. You're a possessor. The Bible says we have been, past tense, given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, it's not your confession that brings it. It's already there. Your confession manifests it. It doesn't bring it. It just manifests it. It gets it out of the eternal planes and puts it in the naked world for your physical eyes to see. That's not possession. Possession happened before I confessed. It happened before I confessed. And that's the truth. That's the truth. But for how many years are people confessing to possess? But I've confessed I'm not possessing. It's because you are taught the wrong order of things. 
this is the spirit of faith. For as we believed, so we speak. And what is believing? It is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Substance, the Greek word for substance is material. So if I possess the material, how can then my confession make me possess as though it would only mean that originally I did not possess or have anything. I could only speak to have. Yet the scriptures say I already have. I only need to speak because I believe I have. The Bible says men are not supposed to speak from the emptiness to feel. No. Men are supposed to have out of the abundance of the heart for them to speak. Possess first and confess. No, but we've killed the order of events. We are confessing to possess. Has very nice rhymes. But it's the very thing as to why many Christians don't get results in the faith. Because they frustrated the order of events. There are many things that are out of order. Out of order. Out of order. Out of order. Many people have gone out of the order of the spirit. You understand? A man quotes a scripture. And he says he gets the poor from the dust. And makes them sit on tables with princes. You understand? And the Christian thinks that they are the poor man. Getting on tables with princes. Yet actually they are the princes. I don't know whether I'm making sense. So, and sweeter when it's in Luganda, Mukama Jo Mwavu. Mufufu. Now Muteka Kumeza Nadia Navalangira. Now we kochoria. Listen, the Bible says you've been made priests and kings. You're royalty. You're royalty. He says you're peculiar people. A royal priesthood. You're kings and priests. Because you're children of the king. You're princes. And princesses. So when they say poor man, you're not the one. You are the one they find on the table. (laughs) So you see, now that doctrine, look at how twisted. They put the child of God in the wrong place and caused them to labor to get into the place which they originally had. That is why people go in the presence of God with no self-worth. I'm rags. I'm nothing God without you. You see, God knows you're nothing without him. Celebrate that you're with him. Begin from there. Let the communication of your faith become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, which is in Christ. There's a man somewhere in Fanero who wakes up and says, I'm royalty. I'm blessed. I'm filled. I'm anointed. There's another one who says, I'm an old shirt. I'm a rag. I'm old. I'm fake, God. I am poor. I'm nothing without you, God. I'm nothing. This gospel is hid. This gospel is hid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we have an issue here. Luke says 
as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which were most surely believed among us, he says, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, the Bible says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, that means there was a first, second, third, fourth, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. We need the order of the things. We need to know what is the first of these things. What are the first principles of the oracles? Do you realize that when he starts to the place where he starts to warn the church of how again we shall not lay again the foundation of the gospel? Eh? Look at the first lines. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. Listen to the foundation. Laying not again the foundation of, what's the first line? Repentance from dead works. The first. That means that if the church has to follow the first order, the first thing in the church is first repentance from dead works. And what are dead works? Dead works are the works of the law. If a man has not gone past that, you can't go to the secondary. And third, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot of recall, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see that? Dead works are the works in the law. Why? Because these are the things a man does to get to God instead of embracing what God wants or has done in that man's life. Those are called dead works. So when you go back to the principles, you realize that the first thing, where the man has just become born again, is to repent from dead works. Why? Because every man, whether they are born again or not, the moment you come to the face of Jesus Christ, the first difference you see and must see is the law and the grace. Because the law was by Moses and has been existent. The Bible says, but grace and truth came by Jesus. The Bible says, for Moses is read in every city. Go to Islam, it's the law. You study many of these religions, Roman Catholicism, it's the law. They've been there so long. Praise the Lord. So when a man shifts the first principle, the first of the laying of the foundation of the faith, is supposed to be repentance from dead works. You understand? And that's why the Bible says, and of faith toward God, and of what? Of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of the hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. You realize the works of faith, the miracles and all, come after the man has understood repentance from dead works. That is why men who are legal don't do miracles. You worship who are so in the law, they don't see the miraculous, like men which walk in the grace. Because they've not even yet broken through from the foundation, which is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Are you understand what I'm saying? When a man understands the grace of God, the miraculous becomes a life experience. It becomes normal. Where we're going, by the way, those things of this man has a healing anointing, it's going to change to that church everyone heals. In that ministry, everyone heals. In that ministry, everyone can see in the spirit. Some people think seeing in the spirit is a gift. No, it's not a gift. It's an ability that can be developed. It's an ability that can be developed with the right teaching. Because you see, the word is what cuts asunder, separates the bone and marrow, exposes our hearts and thoughts to what they really are. And it says that nothing is hid before him. Who? The word. Not the prophet. The word. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be a prophet. No. The office is wonderful. But the believer should not be at a place where they cannot see in the spirit because they are not. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. When you carry the word, everything is naked before him. Everything is naked before the word. So you teach the man the right way. 
to receive the word. And when they receive it the right way, they will see. When the spirit of truth is come upon you. He speaks of how be that when he, the spirit of truth, what is the truth? The word is come. What will he do? He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak. And what shall he do? He will show you things to come. You will tell your future. Your future won't be a mystery. Not because you're a prophet, but because you carry the spirit of truth. And I repeat again, it's not wrong to be a prophet. A prophet can go extra because of the office. But at least every Christian must be able to see in the spirit. It's supposed to be your portion. You see for yourself. So that they don't describe your wife. Uh, uh, you see her. You know this is the one. They don't describe your husband. No. You see and you know that this one is the one. They don't describe your next job. No. You get in truth and know that this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell your neighbor it's possible. So, if we don't get the order of things, even if we minister in the right way, we know how to hit the heading, the sermon outline, the body. We will do that, but still minister disorganization and out, men out of order. And before you know that, we're ministering myths, endless genealogies, and questions to the hearts of the hearers, rather than godly edification, which is after faith. That is why it's important for the man's conscience to be alive. And that is why I told people, the conscience of a man cannot be alive until that man gets to the end of the law. That's why the Bible says the end of the commandment, like I said, is love, charity, out of a pure heart. And what happens? Good conscience. And what next? Faith and faith. Faith is feigned or deceived when the conscience is twisted. When the man has not understood the perfection of love because he has not gotten to the end of the law. Now, faith and faith means the faith that does not lie to self and men. You see, some people have a faith that lies. I believe that this year, wah, that one passes. Now, this week, eh? <laughs> this week I am believing God. He, now, eh? I'm not going to tell you anything. You watch. <laughs> and then we watch and again nothing comes out. There is nothing frustrating like a man who speaks things that just don't come to pass. It's too frustrating. You've confessed, confessed, confession. This year, this year, God, eh? this year, whether they are devils or not, this is my year. This one, I must get married. I must get a job. I must get, I must get again. Then you draw the holy sovereign you have to get. And at the end of the day, you don't get nothing. And then that year passes. And again, you confess. Then that year passes. And again, you confess. And then you start getting frustrated. And then your vision changes. It seems me God didn't call me to. <laughs> then you start ministering to yourselves. Delusional revelation. It is not the timing of God. <laughs> at the right time. Listen. The Bible says if you burn, you marry. If you're at a place where you're burning and you're not married. And you're saying it's not God's timing. You have a problem. That's what the scriptures say. Why is your body funny? Because it's time. <laughs> Which more sign do you need? If you were 12, would understand that that's a devil. Would cast it out. <laughs> because 12 years old, burning, uh, that's a spirit. 
Hallelujah. So again, to me, the point here is, ladies and gentlemen, that I must understand the order of events. Least this gospel is heed. I'll give you an example. People say grace message, grace message, grace message, grace message, grace message. How does a man hear the grace message and conclude they are telling? Except if the gospel is in. You see, they think that we get here only young people and then we tell them, see, and then they say, yeah. And then they go and see. And then they come back and they say, my God, there's a guy. Yeah. Oh, come on here, come on here. And then everyone says, and they sin more. Then they bring their friends and they stand up the whole service. Hallelujah. This gospel is heat. This gospel is heat. Let me show you a particular order. Who remembers the story of Zacchaeus? Now, the Bible says there was a man called Zacchaeus. Look at how God saved that man. Which was the chief among the publicans and he was what? Rich. Give me the message Bible. So there was a man named, his name was Zacchaeus and the head taxman and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus. But the crowd was in his way, so he was a short man and could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. And when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, today is my day to be a guest in your house. The next day, Zacchaeus scrambled out of a tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. And everyone who saw the incidents was indignant and grabbed, what business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Are you seeing how they think? Amplify that particular verse. We're going to go back to message. And when the people saw it, they all muttered among themselves, Oh! Oh! And indignantly complained, He has gone in to be the guest and lodge with a man who is devoted to sin and preeminently a sinner. (laughs) Jesus goes in that man's house. Because the order that was taught to them in the spirit, according to the letter they studied, was... You don't mix with that man. You stay away from him. Are you seeing? The culture they were raised, the understanding they knew. Remember, all these people around him, eh? many of them have been exposed to the law. So they all know it is wrong. How can you sit with a sinner? How can you eat with a drunkard? How can you preeminently a sinner? How can you sit with a crook? That guy is a crook, you see? And then Jesus, he skips all these righteous ones. If you never understand the order of the spirit, you'll frustrate divine purpose and you'll even kill true function. Can you believe according to the mind of the spirit in the order of events pertaining the heavenlies? Judas was supposed to be a treasurer. Order of the spirit. He was a thief. But God put him in charge of the, of the treasury. And you said, but God is not. Because how can you get a thief and give him the bag? It's because you don't know the ways of the spirit. You don't understand that to God, your greatest weakness is your greatest strength. For when I am weak, then I know I'm strong. Prostitutes can make the most trustworthy wives when they meet God. They can. Some people say, once a prostitute, always, nada, nada, no, no, 
No, you don't understand how God thinks. And that's a problem with religion. It never forgets. If you stole in 1962, <laughs> let me tell you, I know a guy. He was a church member in one of the churches. And then by mistake, he impregnated a girl. They produced. Then he later married that woman. They stayed in church and grew together. From that day, the church indirectly pushed him out of ministry. Up to today, he has not found place. Why? Because his child now, his first daughter is about 18. But up to today, they still say, that one produced that girl out of... That's what religion does. It never forgets. And there are people like that. They never forget. That's why marriages fail. Listen, something cannot live until it dies first. So sometimes even marriage people... When there is a place where certain things start to show strains of death, they don't understand. This is only an implication of a life coming up in the very marriage. You understand? Okay, there was a mistake. Kill it, bury it. But anyway, what I'm saying here is this. That religion cannot forget. It cannot forget. Jesus forgets. He says, and I shall forgive them of their sins. And I shall remember them no more. Jesus forgets sin. He forgets. But there are some people who can't allow it. One time a man was preaching. He said, David was forgiven of God. But he still killed Uriah and took Bathsheba. And the spirit of God told me, this is the wrong spirit. Listen, because the record stayed... In the book, he didn't stay with God. He didn't stay with God. Because you don't know the state of heart of that man. So Jesus gets a crook, a thief, a sinner preeminently. And then the Bible says, let's go back to the story. And Zacchaeus just stood up there. You see, Jesus is eating with the man. He has not mentioned anything, just love. And Zacchaeus stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically. Master. Their dinner. Jesus has not spoken anything. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I give away half of my income to the poor. If I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. The next verse says, Jesus said, Today is salvation day in this home. He is Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. He believed. Jesus didn't tell him, Zacchaeus, you're a thief. Zacchaeus, you remember how you stole Bartimaeus? Do you remember how you stole Aristobulus? Do you know what you did to Epaphras? What about Epaphras? Onesimus, do you remember what you did to them? You remember what you did to Tychicus? You know what? Mm. The guy just came, sat with the guy, they started eating. And love led the man to repentance. That's the order. For God so loved. What did he do when man sinned? He gave. What did he do when man sinned? He gave. He didn't beat. He didn't slap. He gave. Today, what do we do? We beat them to salvation. That's why many people come out of church. Because the way they came in, it was Cain's. You were there. And by the way, in fact, and when somebody comes like this, say Jesus, Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart. I believe in my heart. Just fear of fire. The guy feared fire and says, okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, let me accept. You see, that's not how we come to Christ. 
we come to Christ because we are shown his love toward us. That when I get in, I love him. That even if I'm going to steal, I don't steal. Not because I fear he'll slap me, but because I love him not to see. See that love. See that love. See that love. Galatians 2, 16. Let me show you something. Paul said something, Galatians 2, 16. Let's open there. He says we know. It's a knowledge. It's deeper than any debate. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus. Hey, Alama. He didn't say the faith in, but the faith of. We know the man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus. And Paul says, even we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified, again he repeats, by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You cannot be justified. By the works of the law. By doing the law. You cannot. You can't. But it's by the faith of Jesus. Not in. Of. That means you believe him. And when he gets inside of you. He believes in you. That's love. That's love. Corinthians 13 says. Love believes all things. It believes. It believes. It believes. It believes. It believes. Love believes. God believes. In all. So when Jesus gets inside you, he starts to have faith in you. So when Jesus believes in you, you start to realize that your righteousness and your right living in God is as a result of his faith in you. He's present in you and believing in you. Are we together? Can you read it in the message Bible? Paul says, we know very well That we are not set right with God by rule keeping. But only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? Paul says we what? We tried it. And we had the best systems of the rules of the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah. Not by trying to be good. That's the right order of the spirit. You believe the right thing and then you start to live the right way. Because you believe the right way. If you believe the wrong way, you cannot live right. Even if you try. But when you believe right, you live right. When you believe right, you live right. When you believe right, that's the order of the spirit. Give me the true gospel. That true gospel will work in me. Why? Because Colossians says it works by its own inherent power. The reason why we are speaking about sin and it's not living, it's because we are preaching the wrong way. But when we preach the right way, men will live right. The problem is not the men. No, the problem is the gospel. That's the right order. The problem is not the men. The problem is the gospel. You see, many people don't understand this. You see, that's why the Bible says that God found fault in the Old Testament. You remember? The Bible says, for if it was not faultless, there would not have been a necessity for another covenant. And what does the next line say? The next line says, for finding fault with them. You see? 
Why is the covenant faulty? Because he has found fault in men. He wants a covenant where he won't find fault in them. That's the perfect covenant. It's not perfect if it can't perfect the man. It's perfect if it can perfect the man. Are we together? So what finds fault in man is faulty. See how God views the gospel. It's faulty. And this is scripture. It's scripture. Praise the Lord. So, the right order of the spirit is, let us give the right doctrine. When we give the right doctrine, men will walk right. When a doctrine is twisted, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is in condemning them, it will not work righteousness in them because righteousness begins with a true doctrine. Let me read for you something in Romans 3.31. Message says, but by shifting our focus from what we do to what God does, don't we cancel out all our careful keeping of rules and ways God commanded? The Bible says, not at all. What happens, in fact, is that by putting that entire way of life in its proper place, we confirm it. The proper place of it is shifting our focus from what we do for God to what God does. So you're constantly looking at what God does in your life. What God does in your life. What God does in your life. One man of God told me, how come numbers come and people don't have numbers and some people struggle with numbers? And I told him, simple. There are many principles, among which primarily is the message. A guy stood one time in a church and said, you know, if you want people to leave the church, you preach the truth. People will leave the church. That's foolish. The truth makes men free. How can they run away from what makes them free? You know, these days people don't want the truth. When you speak the truth, they go, no, the problem is not that. The problem is you. You're preaching the wrong doctrine. Look, in Acts 13, let's go from verses 38. Let's read. Give me the message. Paul preached the grace message. He says, and I want you to know, my very dear friends, that it is on the account of this resurrected Jesus that the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. Nothing else. See, if you read before, you'll understand he was removing the account of men being forgiven and the fulfillment of the promises of God on their works. And then he put it on Christ. And then he says, he accomplishes in those who believe everything that the law of Moses could never make good on. But everyone who believes in this raised up Jesus is declared good and right and whole before God. You see, he's preaching the message. Don't take this lightly. You don't want the prophet someone to describe you. Watch out, cynics. Look hard, watch your world fall to pieces. I'm doing something right before your eyes that you won't believe, though it's staring you in the face. And when the service was over, listen, Paul and Barnabas were invited back to preach again the next Sabbath. Why? Because they were preaching the grace. As the meeting broke up, a good many Jews and converts to Judaism went along with Paul and Barnabas, who urged them in long conversations to stick with what they had started. This living in and by God's grace. The next verse says, the next Sabbath, practically, the whole Kampala. Practically, the whole city, the Bible says, showed up to hear the word of God. Let me ask again, does truth just away men? If you're a pastor and you understand that passage, you can never fail to increase in ministry. The right order of events. 
Believe right, live right. Believe wrongly, live wrongly. The total sum of your faith defines the total sum of how you live. Let me tell you, there is no weakness in this world that is stronger than the truth which is in Christ. The only challenge is we are not preaching truth. We are preaching endless myths and genealogies, doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. But when the truth comes in the lives of men, if you want to know the truth, how many of you, when you heard the grace message, you walked out of sin? Things that used to disturb you left. Put up your hand. Bakulabe. Oh my goodness. Oh my. Put up again. Put up again. Oh my goodness. So, how can someone say they are right and we are the wrong ones? And that is why I tell you guys, let us preach this gospel deeper. Let us preach it deeper. Let us pray. Let us believe. Let us win souls in this message. Let us give heart. Let us reach out. Let us evangelize. Let us carry men and say, you have to listen to this truth. Let's win men over. Hallelujah. Preach the gospel. By the way, I want to pray for some people. Two kinds, before we actually start praying. You know, every time I preach the grace message, I feel there are certain men who are repenting from that old thing. And you say, hey, I'd understood this thing wrongly. I need now to realign my life to the truth. I need to be prayed for. I want to pray for you. Salvation has come to your home today. <laughs> hey, Rabasa. Father, I pray. Like Paul says, I commit them to you the word of your grace which is able to keep them I pray and they will be delivered from every form of lies and that truth entering their spirits starts to set them free in every area of their lives God whatever blindness there was because of the darkness in this world it is lifted by reason of the grace of God and now men see and feel and respond clearly because it's not what we do it is what you are doing in Jesus mighty name secondly if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and you say today I want to accept the Lord as my savior say Lord Jesus I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you died and rose again from today I am born again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you just raise your hands and thank God for his grace? Thank him for grace. That is why we came. That is why you packed your car. That is why you left your girls at home. To come and thank God for his grace. Oh. I am so blessed. 
Thank God for His grace. Just take a minute. Thank Him. Thank Him. Thank Him. Thank Him. If you're sick, touch wherever it's paining. If you're sick, I feel there's a healing anointing right now. Receive your healing. Receive your healing. I feel somebody's getting healed. Oh. Thank you, Lord. I pray for you in the name of Jesus, for your families. I decree and declare that it is well in your family. It is well in your marriage. It is well in your business. It is well at your job. I decree and declare that God increases you. God promotes you. God multiplies you. God reveals himself to you in the name of Jesus. Your ears are opening. The eyes of your spirit are seeing. You are a success in everything you do. Everywhere you go, you are a testimony. In the name of Jesus. You are waxing in every direction. The glory of God increases upon your life. You are above and not beneath. You go upward and upward only. You are a success. You are a success. You are the true testimony of prosperity. You are the true testimony of revelation and understanding. You are the true conduit of power and glory. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which you hope or expect according to the power that worketh in us. Somebody say amen. All your needs are met. Say amen. All your desires are met. Say amen. Hallelujah. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. Thank you.